adult, you know, just the fact that when you were a kid, you came and you roved around, you were free, you met people, and, you know, you, you had flings, you know, for a day or for a week, and then when you went home, you forgot all about them, and then as an adult, when you come back, you just remember all that, and it sort of rekindles your youth, you know? It's really like sort of a fountain of youth. It was a, a guy from one of the piers who worked on one of the rides. I was telling, in fact, I was telling her yesterday, he let me borrow one of his uh, jackets, you know, his jacket, so it had Maurice Pier on it, so I could go on any ride I wanted on Maurice Pier, because everybody thought I worked for Maurice Pier, so here I walked around with my jacket, and went on everything. I went on that sea serpent ride a hundred times. I love that ride. Now, you can't get me to go near it. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I think I'm getting old. <laughs> if at first you don't succeed. Try and try again. It's third time lucky, then you say. That this time it's for sure Please give my heart one more chance Let's hit that road to romance It's now or never Baby, can't you see? Make a third time lucky Every night's a school night, number 71. Happy to be in the 70s. Happy. <laughs> I don't know how happy, but happy. <laughs> happy nonetheless. I don't know how happy, but happy nonetheless. Yeah, that was Third Time Lucky. Good name for a song. Third Time Lucky, good song. By a guy named Tony Steven. Not Steven Tony, but Tony Steven. Two first names. First name Anthony, last name Stephen. Don't get them confused. But yeah, third time lucky. I don't know what it is about threes, but we all know there's something to them beyond the fact that three is three. You know, there's something to triangles, the rule of thirds. There's just something to when things come in thirds, something that works, you know, musically. You know, if you play a part three times, there's something that it, it almost like propels it more than it would if you played it two or four times. I don't know what it is. 
Also, when things are divided into thirds, there's something aesthetically pleasing about that visually. Because I'm not a huge fan of symmetry. I'm not a, a huge fan of the visual of symmetry. I think there's some cases where, like, if you have a house and you, you feel the need to have stone columns or something, or any kind of columns, doesn't really matter what they're made out of, it's nice to see those balanced. But even then, I don't like it when they're square in the middle. Like, if you're going to have columns on your house, I kind of like it where they're off to one side, but you still need two. There still has to be some symmetry. But I don't like art where it looks like a mirrored image on each side. I don't like art that looks like, it doesn't even look like, there just is a mirror image of the other side where you could really put them right next to each other and they don't look any different. And that's a, a Photoshop effect too. And people do that with their own faces. It's some sort of photo trick that people like where it's it's like they'll take one half of their face and mirror it. So, it's, so their face is formed by the same side of their face, reversed. But yeah, something about just symmetrical imagery I'm not too into. But thirds, you know, if something's divided into thirds, I don't know. There's something that's appealing to me. Um... Yeah, so that was the Tony Steven. We're going to go ahead and play a guy named Don Argo. And that's a good name, Don Argo, A-R-G-O. And he has two songs here I'm going to play. And the first one is just a real power tune. It starts with the same words that I say to myself every morning when I wake up, which is candy, 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 candy. No, but it, it does start with those words. And it's called Candy Sue. I don't know about the you know, the first girl I ever had a crush on. It was in kindergarten. The first girl that I I may have had a crush before then, but I don't really remember. First girl as a schoolboy, as a going to school boy. You can't be a schoolboy unless you're in school. So kindergarten would be the start of my schoolboy days. And there was a girl in the class, and she was her parents were hippies, and she was a hippie too. <laughs> Uh, she was a kindergartner, but like for a kindergartner, she was a hippie. She looked like a hippie. Uh, her parents carried that over. They passed it on. I hear it's genetic. I hear it's genetic. The kid's a hippie because the parents are hippies. But yeah, her name was Candy, and it was the first girl I had a crush on. And I remember one time I tried throwing a rock at her. So this just tells you there's something to that. I don't know. It was just, it wasn't a big rock. It wasn't a horrible you know, I'm not a dangerous person. I wasn't a dangerous person in kindergarten either. But I threw just some sort of, it was probably a pebble. And it wasn't intended to hurt her, but it was it was intended as some, it was some way to harass her. There's that boys chasing girls thing. And I've never been one to do that. But I guess in kindergarten, I did. I got it all out of my system. I threw the rock. I threw a rock. And what's funny is my mom was actually uh, one of the, I don't even know what you call it, like the people who come in, like the moms who come in and volunteer time to watch the kids at recess. She wasn't a recess attendant, thank God, but she just like would help out with the class, and that included watching us at recess. And the little girl ran to my mom and told me. So my mom found out I threw this rock at a girl. And then, that was it. The girl, she didn't stay in my school system. And this isn't about my long-lost kindergarten love, Candy, although I would be very curious to know what she's up to. Probably has some little hippies of her own by now. <laughs> but this song's called Candy Sue, and as far as I know, this girl wasn't named Candy Sue, and I don't think she was born in the 1940s either. 
so nobody would be writing songs about her in the 50s or 60s, whenever this song was. But uh, it's going to be a two-song block by Don Argo, Candy Sue, and Go To Him. Candy, 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 Sue.
shouldn't make fun. That was actually a very mature song, very magnanimous to use the word of the hour. I feel like I've used that word a lot lately. Magnanimous. How magnanimous? Go to him. You're saying he has your heart, so go to him. Rather than participating in a, a, a pointless battle with another man for a woman's love, just let it go. Let it go. Yeah, a surprisingly mature tune there, dealing with an age-old topic. And uh, that Candy Sue, though, that first song, I mean, just an unbelievable, it's just ripping, just a ripping song, uh, Candy Sue. But that was Don Argo, and we're going to stay with the Dons here, and we're going to go with another guy who sounds like a joke, Don Deal. Not done deal. We all know what a done deal is, D-O-N-E-D-E-A-L. But few of us know what a Don deal is, D-O-N, no E, just D-O-N-D-E-A-L. It's still a deal, but it's a Don deal, which would be a good substitution for the term done deal. Like you're in a business meeting and you finish and you, you sign the paperwork and you shake the hands and you say, Don deal. People probably wouldn't even know what you're saying. <laughs> you know, Don Deal. It would just sound like uh, Dundee. Don Deal. But here we go. Don Deal. And this is a great song. It's called The First Teenager. I said that a little weird. I said that like people who say TV, where they emphasize the, the second part of the word, the second syllable. Teenager. No, but this is The First Teenager. Well, it turns out when, the, when there was the first teenager walking the earth, nobody had heard the term teenager before. So they didn't know whether to emphasize the, the first or second part of the word. But um, how's that for historical revisionism? I wouldn't consider this song historical revisionism, though. You know, it's actually about Adam and Eve, believe it or not. He's saying Adam was the first teenager. I, this song was made for every night's a school night. Somehow, somewhere in the distant past... This song was recorded by Don Deal, just for me. The first teenager, a guy, a boy named Adam, a guy named Adam. Can't remember how he says it, but uh, I I love thinking about that, and I've never thought of it. I've never, it's never even crossed my mind, except for this song, that Adam and Eve were teenagers, and I like that it gives this kind of 1950s spin. What it actually sounds like is when he he kind of starts going into the Adam and Eve thing. It sounds like a youth preacher who's trying to stay hip. Who's like, you know when you're uh, playing uh, Counter-Strike? No, I'm trying to think. What's the Halo? Like, you know when you're playing Halo on your Xbox and, you know, the main character, he gets killed, but you did it. You died doing something uh, that mattered. Well, that's kind of like this guy, Jesus. And, you know, there there was a guy, a cool cat named Adam. And he met a girl, and oh, she was a groovy chick, man. Her name was Eve. It's kind of what this song, the kind of it's kind of what this vibe is like, but better than that, you know. I'm 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 joking, but it's it's a great little song, but it is fun and it is funny, 
And it does kind of come across like a youth preacher who's trying to be like, yeah, there was this cool cat named Adam and this girl and this, this, this cool chick named Eve. I like when it talks about fashion because, you know, I, I did an episode about that a while back about, you know, the first fashion were the leaves on Adam and Eve's groins and how they got some choice. You know, it wasn't like it was just a, there was, you know, they had different colored leaves. You know, you wear, you know, it was the first fall fashion was a brown or orange leaf. You know what I mean? The first fall fashion was worn by Adam and Eve because they had to. Those were, those were the leaves that were fallen. So there's a long precedent there as far as seasonal fashion goes. You know, that goes back to the beginning. That goes back to the seasons because the seasons used to produce the clothing we wore, if you can call leaves clothing. But anyway, Don Deal, the first teenager, as you can expect from this song, you know, it, it's it's got it hits all the right subjects you know it's it's biblical but it's also got that 50s teen vibe and it combines them and you know just speaking of the word teenager i'm not i shouldn't even say it but it's like it crossed my mind the phrase quarantineager with everything going on and i mean it's it's stupid but it crossed my mind this is sort of a confession let's consider this a confession but it kind of does feel like everybody's going through some sort of weird second puberty right now it's mental, maybe. We're all going... Because, I mean, you know, it's mental changes that go on during puberty as much as it is physical. And that's a fact. That's not me getting all woo-woo. It's true. You know, your brain chemistry does change. You do change inside mentally during puberty. And so if people feel like things are changing, if they feel like they are changing, well, hey, baby, you're going through second puberty. Thank God you got me to tell you. You'd think you were turning into a werewolf. You're going through second puberty, and it's all mental. You're thinking you're turning into you're turning into a mental werewolf. I don't know where I'm going. Don Deal, the first teenager. The first teenager was a lad named Adam. Those rocking rhythms, brother Adam had them. A chick named Eve was his real born steady. They met while it was love already. While the grown-ups said you're too young to date The first teenager was a lucky lad was he The first teenager wish it had been me No folks to buy for his love and honey She wore no sack dress and crazy sweater Just big leaves showed he's that better, better First teenager, what a lucky lad was he The first teenager, wish it had been me 
Yeah, what I think is most interesting about that song is that he very much covets Adam Adam's role as the first teenager. Like he's jealous of the fact that Adam got to be the first teenager. He's saying, "What a lucky guy! I wish that was me." I don't know. I think that'd be pretty strange. It'd be good. It'd be good strange. So maybe I understand. Maybe I do get it. Maybe I'm jealous too. Maybe I'm jealous too. Maybe I'm jealous too of Adam. (laughs) That he got to be the first teenage kid. Think about the freedom of that. A teenage kid named Adam. But uh, yeah, that was a great little tune. Good, it was good music too. Good subject matter, good music. That would be my review. If songs had those little restaurant review forms, I would say uh, good music, uh, good subject matter. But you know, I was talking recently about Ronnie Dio, and I've of course played Ronnie Dio's doo wop era music on the show before. Been a long time, though. It may have been since the uh, start of the show around then. I know it was pretty early. So I think it's time. I think it's time that Ronnie Dio gets played again. And this is with his group, The Prophets. I don't believe I played any of these songs because he had the Red Caps. And both of his groups had good names. I don't know what a Red Cap is, at least in the context of like naming your band that. Maybe it just sounds good. Ronnie and the Red Caps was one of his groups, and then his other group was the Prophets, which is very fitting for Ronnie James Dio. You know, for a guy who would be most well-known for metal and hard rock, uh, having a group called the Prophets, Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, is cool. And Dio, that just has a sound to it. Dio, it sounds ancient. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of solo Dio. I like it. You know, to be honest, I don't think I've listened to enough of it. I've heard the big beats, you know, I've heard the the big beats of of that stuff. But I'm a big fan of Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell. Big fan of that in large part because of Dio. So I'm definitely a Dio fan. I'm a fan of Dio's later work. I like him. And I think the fact that he was a, a doo-wop performer is cool, but what's really great is that his doo-wop was great. You know, sometimes you'll find out an artist performed this type of music early on in their career, and you check it out, and it's a cool novelty to know that, I think an example of that would be, I believe it's Paul Simon from Simon and Garfunkel. I believe he did some teen-style pop, 50s, 60s teen-style pop, maybe it verged into doo-wop, but I, I heard it at some point, and it certainly wasn't bad. And I mean, that's true for most of this music. It has a very high ratio of good, I guess the way I should put it is, you know, a substantial amount of it is at least passable. It's competent. I very rarely hear a song from this era and think like, oh, this fucking sucks. I rarely have that reaction. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's too cookie cutter. Sometimes it's too by the numbers. Often it is. Often it is very formulaic, but competent. Performance-wise, you know, writing-wise, it's competent, and there's something to it. And, and most of it is fairly rugged by today's production standards, so that adds something to it as well. But in in Dio's case, you know, his doo-wop era music, it's not just competent, it's really fucking good. And 
and, and he has more than one good song. I mean, there's artists in this era that I would consider some of my some of my favorite artists, and I've honestly only heard one song that I genuinely like from them. But I like that song so much that I'm just a fan of them. And it's rare. I mean, it's it's. I think it's more this style of music where it's very 45 based, where you only have two songs of theirs on a record to begin with. Very few people were doing albums, at least at that point. So there's something that, you know, one song can turn you into a fan, a genuine fan of an artist. But it's amazing when you have an artist who has more than one, let alone many. And in Dio's case, there's quite a few songs that are good to great. And I'm going to play a few of those here. The first song is Love Pains from 1962, followed by Blue Days, Blue Nights. And then I Told You So. And he was in the Prophets in 1962, 1963. Not sure what the exact range was. These songs are from 62 and 63. I know that. So we're going to do a Ronnie James Dio block, Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, starting here with Love Pains. Misery looks for company, so I've been searching night and day. But my friends have turned me out, and I can't go on this way alone with love pains that my doctor cannot heal. I'm almost dying cause of love pains, but no one cares how sick I feel. I tried to cure up time, but it did no good as far as I can see.
told you so. Ronnie Dio told you. And if you're going to listen to anybody, it should be him. Ronnie Dio told you back in 1963, so you got no excuse. Got no excuse now. And uh, it's crazy to think that that was, what, 60 years ago? 50-something years ago. Was that 60 years ago? Yeah, I guess so. 57? But uh, we're going to be playing a song here by a guy named Rockland C. Hoagland. Rockland, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C, middle initial C, Hoagland, H-O-A-G-L-U-N-D. This certainly isn't somebody who decided to go by a stage name. I mean, he didn't even go by Rock, Rock Lynn. Had to include his middle initial in case you confused him with the other Rockland Hoagland. Hoagland, that's a good name, H-O-A-G. L-U-N-D. His name could be a song unto itself. It could be a children's song. But uh, this isn't a children's song. His, this song by the man, Rockland C. Hoagland, is certainly not a children's song. It's called A Woman of the World, and then in parentheses, at 17. I think sex ruins relationships. Like, if you have it, you're not going to last much longer. You still get the good feeling, and then it's going to, you know what I mean? Broken heart. 
they meet guys here. Yeah. Or even like my one friend had an abortion. She was like really, I mean, really young, like 15. She had like two of them. So, and she's she's still like, you know, like having sex now. She hasn't learned from it. I know. Really. Having sex these days, you gotta be really careful. You gotta make sure it's with the right person. You gotta make sure you protect yourself. You don't protect yourself, you could end up dead. We're pregnant with someone's child that you don't want to have. Yeah, I know someone, she was a freshman, she got pregnant. She had no idea who the father was. It was narrowed down to five guys. Because oh, she had, I guess, sex with him like one every day for that week. And then um, then now in her junior year, she got pregnant again. So now, I mean, when she graduates, she's probably going to have, she'll have two kids. One's going to be three, and the other be two years old. And she's not married at all. Actually, she's dating her best friend's uncle. Guys, don't get over on me. I know there's a difference. A lot of girls I know are real naive, and they just they want to love a guy. They want to be a dad, but I love them. But they're only 18 years old, and you're real late that is. And all the guys always want things. Corbin, way ahead of her time with Boy Doll, ahead of her time because it used that robot voice. I don't know what they, what sort of effect that was back then, but who knew they were way ahead of their time? Because who knew that all anybody would be listening to in uh, 2020 would be just robot music, music made for and by robots. I mean, I think that's what's going on. I think that's what's going on as music has become more digital. It's that that's what the robots want to hear. 
And they're in the same room as we are. Our phones, our computers, they're the ones playing the music itself. The music is coming from these devices. And so I think the music that is coming out these days is actually what the robots prefer. And we don't even realize we are making it for them. Like, I can tell that this recording device, I can tell that, you know, this uh, software right now, I can feel that it's a little bit happier because it heard that robot voice say boy doll. I can tell that it's, it's like, oh, he plays all this music that is before our time. He plays all this music that is before our, the, the current technological age. And he just played something that had a little, it was like a little shout out. Just letting the robots know that I'm paying attention. I don't even like saying the word robot. That word feels outdated. Hey, Batman. Uh, the word feels outdated even though robots are only on the cusp of existing. I mean, I guess robots do exist. You know, we do have uh, Roombas and they are developing these robots. I mean, we do have some form of robot. But I like how I'm I'm done with the word robot and what we imagine, like humanoid robots that can fully function, don't exist and I'm already over the word. Like, let's call these things that don't exist something else. But I do think, yeah, all this music, all this digital music, not just techno, but just the, the just you listen to pop music now and it, it you, you might as well be listening to some weird techno. And I'm not saying that as a criticism either, because I mean, I think there's something interesting about it. I don't listen to much of it, but I mean, it's, it's just interesting that it all took that direction. And it's not just the equipment. It's not just the digitization of recording equipment and effects and everything else they're using it's just it's it seems you know it seems deeper than that and i think it's because you know all these devices the computers the phones they all want to hear stuff like that they all want to hear stuff that sounds like it was made for and by robots fubu fubu for robots that's the next stage but anyway uh before things get too uh, silly, I guess. I don't want things to get too silly. Yeah, that was Carol Corbin with Boy Doll. And uh, that was following, of course, Rockland C. Hoagland, who I should mention uh, sounds like a guy named Rockland C. Hoagland. And, and C. Hoagland. It's important that middle initial's there because he sounds like a guy named Rockland C. Hoagland, not Rockland Hoagland, not Rockland A. Hoagland. But uh, the song was interesting, too, the Rock, uh, the Rockland Hoagland one. That's a mouthful to keep saying that. Uh, that one's interesting because the guitar, no drums. The guitar is very active and unique, not just for that style of music, but for anything. It's almost chaotic, but it all kind of, it holds tight to a certain, you know, melodic sensibility. But it's kind of all over the place and, and beautiful, uh, even exotic a little bit. I'm just going to keep throwing every word in the dictionary out here. But if you like the name Rockland C. Hoagland, here's a name that I think will, uh, it should appeal to you too, if you like that one. It's Houston Barks, and of course it's country-ish, it's twangy, you know, it's country. Houston Barks. You know, Houston like the, the city, Barks like the dog. Houston Barks, and the first song is A Stranger, and then in parentheses, Tore My Castle Down. I like the word stranger, and I like the word strange. I like what they make me think. I, I, I don't feel that they are overused. You hear them often. They are common words. People refer to things as strange, and they talk about stranges all the time. 
Everyone's always talking about strangers. Let me tell you something. I've never met a stranger. And I wouldn't know one if I saw one. Uh, in fact, I, I've been called one before, and I can tell you for sure that I ain't one. I ain't a stranger. But stranger, I just like the word, you know, I like the idea of just strangeness in general. It's a word I like, and a stranger tore my castle down. Good song title, and I, I love parentheses. I love the idea of putting something in parentheses in the title, because it's saying, here's some necessary information for you to understand the, at the very least, the tone of the song, if not the subject matter. Because if it was just called a stranger, that'd be you'd have a completely different idea. Oh, the, it's the song called a, a stranger. Okay, could be about anything. That stranger could do anything. But in parentheses, tore my castle down. Well, that gives you a whole visual: a stranger tearing a castle down. And of course, it's metaphorical. But you still visualize a castle. Just because someone's throwing a metaphor out there, just because it's a metaphor or an, al- an analogy, doesn't mean you don't see the thing. You know, I'm seeing a castle, and uh, the second song is going to be called She's Gone, no parentheses. She's Gone. These are two songs from 1958, so Houston barks some 1958 twang here, you know, talking about castles, strangers, and her being gone. Tomorrow I'll be locked up in prison Just because I fought for what was mine The judge and the jury wouldn't listen But I'd like to tell my story one more time I was so happy with my darling Station just as he pulled away 
And that lonesome old whistle seemed to say Your lonely heart will have to try to mend Find someone new and try to love again She's gone, you're all alone She's gone, she won't come home down the track and then I realized I was alone I knew there was no way for me to bring her back for I could still hear that lonesome whistle say your lonely heart will have to try to win find someone new and try to love again she's gone you're all alone Away. He must have realized I lost my love that day For when I passed I heard him say Your lonely heart will have to try to miss Find someone new and try to love again She's gone, you're all alone She's gone, she won't come Funny the number of songs, different genres too, but the number of songs, especially from that era, that involve repeating part of the chorus, usually not the full chorus at the end of the song over and over again as it fades out. In, in that case, you know, she's gone, she's gone. You know, I don't need to do it. You just heard him repeat it. You don't need me to do it. Um, but uh, it's it's that sort of thing. I think these voices are just my conscience. <laughs> you know, I think the whole doing voices thing, I don't know, you know, I've always liked accents and that kind of thing, and I've had fun doing them, but I realized it's just, it really is the devil and angel on my shoulder replaying my words back to me to, you know, it's like constructive haunting. You know, it's like, you know, there's that idea in stories, like the ghost who constructively haunts. I feel like that's what my conscious does. It's just, it's, I already used the example, you know, a couple episodes ago about, you know, the ghostly figure, the ghostly clerk who retrieves information in my brain and sends it to me at the right time. You know, I think it's the same thing with this, where it's not even a ghost, it's just ghostly. I don't want to think of things in terms of ghosts. I want to, they're ghost-like. I don't know why I'm making that distinction. <laughs> the things in my brain that retrieve information, they're not ghosts. They're ghostly. They're ghost-like. But apparently so is my conscience. <laughs> he says that everything going on in his head is ghost-like. He says everything going on in his head is ghostly. You know, it's really starting to freak me out. You know, things he's saying are really starting to freak me out. Can your brain be haunted? Can your brain be haunted? Yeah, I have a question. Can your brain be haunted? 
Um, but anyway, Houston Barks, good material there. Uh, you know, who knows what who knows what just happened? Who knows what just happened right now? Um, we're gonna be playing another song here called "Praying for a Miracle." It's also from 1958, like those two Houston Barks songs. What a coincidence! You know, I tend to only play music between the range of 1958 to 1963 or 4. I tend to only play music from this five-year window and in these limited sets of genres, this five-year window, and yet I'm... What a coincidence. It's another song from 1958. It's almost like when you only choose... It's, it's almost like when you only play songs from 1958, you end up playing a lot of songs from 1958. No, but I'm more of a, a 61 guy, as I've pointed out before. But anyway, this is going to be a song, Praying for a Miracle which to some might be just for this episode to end. That's it. I don't even play the song. It's just over. You've been listening. You've been not terribly happy with the the time that you've invested in this episode, and you're praying for it to be over. That's the miracle that you want. It's the miracle I want, too, but it's not the one I'm going to ask for. Uh, This is the Syncopates, which is an interesting name, S-Y-N-C-A-P-A-T-E-S, obviously playing on syncopation, syncopated. I like how literal bands got in this era, too. It's kind of like all the bands that used the word tones in their their, uh, group title, in their band name. In their group title. I'm going to say that. Anytime, you know, when people are always like, you know, that would make a good band name. Instead, I'm going to say, that would make a good group title. That would make a good group title. Um, in my country, we say group title. We don't say band name. We call it, we say group title. What is the title of your group? Um, but uh, yeah, the, the group t- it's it's very literal in that era, which is interesting. You know, you you could name your group, you know, something musically related. Which if you do that now, you sound like a dork. You know, if you name your group something that's like a reference to either the style of music you play or something musical, it's very dorky, it's very out of touch, and it has been for a long time. But I sometimes think about Metallica, and it's funny how much I fucking bring up Metallica on this show. You would think that I'm thinking about Metallica all the time based on how often I use them as an example or use them as a reference. But the reason I'm thinking of them right now, we don't need to worry about the past. <laughs> we, don't need to, we don't need to worry right now about the, the other times that I brought up Metallica, the other countless times that I brought up Metallica, who apparently take up so much space in my brain. But um, anyway, like point being, I, I've never really sat and thought until recently about the, the band name Metallica. The fact that they were a metal band and they called themselves Metallica. You know, it's not even like it's a real word, as far as I know. I mean, I haven't looked it up. I, I haven't looked up the word Metallica to see if it's a real word. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just funny that it's like you make up this word. I mean, speaking of dorky, Metallica. And I guess that's a timing thing, too. It's like the actual genre of heavy metal was still in an early enough stage when they started that I think you could kind of do that. You know, I, I guess it's just interesting though. Metallica, it's it's kind of like this. Who knew? You know, Ronnie Dame, Ronnie Dame, Geo, Ronnie James Dio. You know, he sang doo wop. 
And it turns out Metallica was just following, you know, the doo-wop formula in coming up with a name for themselves. Be like, we'll just refer to music itself. We'll, re- we'll refer to the music. <laughs> Which is, you know, every time a band is sitting there trying to worry about what to call their band, what are we going to name our band? What are we going to name our band? You know, let's decide. Let's fight over this. Let's decide. Let's figure it out. You know, anytime someone's racking their brain trying to find the right band name, you know, just follow that doo-wop formula and be like, we'll refer to the music. Just go ultra generic. Because that's what that is. It's just being very generic. And I mean, syncopates, fortunately, it's awkward enough. It's, I believe it's misspelled. I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously, it's sort of nonsense. The syncopates. Uh, it's it's obviously taking you know syncopation and turning it into nonsense, uh, but praying for a miracle, it's got a great lyric. My friends say that I'm insane, and it's sort of like a Ginny Arnell lyric I played in the last episode, where she says, you know, maybe I'm just insane, something to that effect. Uh, I like that. I like the idea of using the word insane. It has a certain weight to it during this era. Now we just throw the word insane around. Oh, that's insane. I mean, when I say that's insane, it's both basically the best possible response. It's both like the highest compliment as well as this other thing. It's sort of like forget about it, you know, when that became a thing, when everyone was like, oh, it turns out like New Yorkers and mobsters, they say forget about it. And it it means like, a hundred different things depending on the context and the situation. That's kind of how I am with the word insane, where someone will tell me some really good news and I'll be like, that's insane. And it means that's awesome. That's amazing. That's better than awesome. And then someone will tell me some really horrible news and I'll be like, that's insane. Someone will tell me something that doesn't really elicit any response at all. And I'll say, whoa, insane. Oh, Eric, he's just the guy, everything's insane to him. You know what? Don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. Every fucking thing you tell him, he thinks it's insane. But a great lyric, my friends say that I'm insane. And the delivery, too. Just listen for it. You'll hear it. Listen for it. Praying for a miracle, my friends say that I'm insane. Too bad that's not in parentheses.
try to be try to she be nice and friendly. She nags. She's a pure pain in the ass. That's why. <laughs> she doesn't relax. She she just can't. It's impossible. I'm like laid back. I get along with anybody. I well, I get along with everyone. I think I'm the friendliest person in the world. Then after a while, she gets on your nerves. So you want to kill her. <laughs> Yeah, that was Louise Corday, or perhaps Cordette. I don't know the actual pronunciation, but I know she's English. And that's just me throwing you a bone. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I went on this tangent last episode about, you know, pro-American, but, you know, celebrating my idea of the American experience and the good things that I feel like have come out of America and are America. You know, I went on this tangent, and, you know, it might be a slippery slope, and down the road, this might be a hyper-nationalist show. We might get hyper-nationalistic down the road. And somebody who's been listening to this show for long enough would probably say, you're already there. <laughs> you're, ar- you're worried about getting there eventually? You're already there. You're already there. Someone might be saying that. You're already a, just basically a, a right-wing, hyper-nationalist show. I don't, I've never heard that phrase, hyper-nationalist. That's why I'm going to carve out the niche of hyper-nationalism. But I was throwing people a bone because I want to make people, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to settle some uh, people's nerves and, and play something international on occasion. Not very often. I mean, the next time I play something non-American, it could be two minutes from now or it could be 24 years. It might be never. I might never play another non-American thing on this show. But every once in a while, I do like to throw you a bone. You know, I'm making sure you know that, you know, we can, we're, we can be comfortable with the whole international thing here, too. We can be comfortable with it. On occasion, we like to limit it. Louise Cordet, there she, Corday, whatever it is. We'll say her name however she wants. However she wants. Because it turns out, you know, the pronunciation of someone's name, it's not about what you want. It's about (laughs) the person whose name it is. They get to tell you. They get to tell you. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, occasionally, just occasionally, we like to just show, give you a little glimpse into the world out there. But we're very much still about the world in here. And, you know, it's getting, to, it's getting to be about that time. Uh, you know, but I have to say, too, it's like, you know, the English in particular are a weird one. Because I don't feel like they're that different, but yet in my heart I know they are redcoats. And, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a huge—I'm certainly not an Anglophile. I'll say that. But we can play—you know, somebody from England can come on this show. We can play somebody from England, and, we, and we're comfortable with that. We're okay with that. We can handle it in you know bits and pieces. You know, if somebody, uh, if tomorrow somebody's like, hey, you know, I'm gonna play you this Beatles album, I'll go ah, ah. But uh, you know, once the whisper screams come in, you know, we we have a rule here, as you know. The FDA has its rules. The FDA has its rules, and we have our own rules here at every night's a school night. And that is, once the whisper scream comes in, it's over. And the fact that it suddenly started happening tells me it might be a trend. So we might have some very short episodes in the near future, depending on how well this rule can be contained, how well it can be enforced. 
Uh, we might have some very short episodes. We might have some episodes where all there is is a whisper scream followed by Pat Boone Exodus, the normal outro. We might just, that might be a show. That might be a few shows. I'm just telling you now so you don't get surprised. But we're going to play a song here, the last song of this episode, by a guy named Frank Fafara. And getting into pronunciations, I don't know how to pronounce that. Is it Fafara or Fafara? I know Frank. I don't have any questions about how to pronounce Frank. But Frank Fafara, Fafara. What is it? Is it Frank Fafara or Frank Fafara? And you can ask that guy. I mean, you, anytime you wonder about how a name is supposed to be pronounced, you can be like, what would that guy say? How would that guy say it? And a guy like that, well, is it Frank Fafara or Frank Fafara? I think he's going to say the former. I think Fafara, it has like, there's something about the way that the Fara gets lifted that I don't think that guy would be comfortable saying it that way. It sounds, I don't know, it sounds weak. It sounds like something a weak person would say. It sounds like something the weak person would say. Frank Fafara. Frank Fafara. Fafara. Frank Fafara. Frank Fafara. I think that guy says Fafara. So Frank Fafara, the song is Golden One. And this is one where there's no question. You know, I mentioned recently, there's, there's love songs where you don't really know if they're singing about a girl or a god or both. There are love songs that are like that, especially in this era. You know, things weren't explicit like they are today. You know, you think about R&B, hip-hop songs today, and they're just explicit. There's no subtlety. You know, and I'm not the first to point it out. You know, I'm, I am, actually. I'm the first to point that out. But and it's not even that it bothers me, but I'm just saying that it's like it, nothing is open for interpretation. And that kind of gets me into something a friend of mine was talking to me about. Uh, you know, he grew up outside of America, and he's been here most of his life, but he was just saying something that's very different with Americans, because, you know, I can, t- I can criticize America. Part of my love for America is that I can say this, but it's that people kind of need to know why. Like he, he used the example, he was saying if, for example, like he cancels plans and he says, oh, I won't be able to make it tonight. I won't be able to go to the party tonight. There's a tendency in America for people to go, Why? And I'm, I don't really get that that much, but there is this kind of expectation that you have to explain yourself. Because I know that I feel the pressure if I cancel something, and I think I'm pretty good if I commit to something, especially if it's like involves like a small group of people or one person, I'm pretty good at not bailing. If it's a party, you know, you know it's, it's slightly different. If it's a gathering of people, it's a little different because it's not on your shoulders. But I feel this pressure to be like, oh, I can't make it because I'm sick. Or, you know, I can't make it because, you know, my daughter, her ballet lesson, you you know, you've met my daughter. Her name's Rainy May Thursday, uh, which is my joke earlier today because it's been a rainy May and it's a Thursday. So my joke is that's my daughter's name, my future daughter's name, Rainy May Thursday. Rainy day (laughs) Thursday. Rainy day Thursday. Rainy May Thursday, get over here. Um, but, uh, you know, you come up with these excuses. You know, oh, it's Rainy May Thursday's ballet recital. I can't make it. You know, you come up with these excuses, and they're soft lies, but I feel like soft lies do eat away at you. And eventually you have to tell them. At some point you have to tell a soft lie. It's just part of being a person. 
but at the same time, I try to avoid soft lies whenever I can. Cause I, and not for any holy reason, not for any high moral reason, not to be like, huh, not only do I not tell major lies, I don't tell soft lies either. You know, like some fucking asshole. Like, uh, I don't even lie to work. I don't even tell my job that I, you know, on a sick day, I just say I can't come in because I don't want to lie and pretend I'm sick. You know, I hate that character that I'm doing right now. Um, but uh, anyway, like, it's it's just this, there's this tendency to feel like you have to explain everything. And he was just saying, my friend was saying, uh, he feels like that's something that's different. He He came from, he grew up in Italy until he was, I think, a young teenager, maybe late late childhood, early teenage, but he was just saying how that's just a difference that he's noticed. There's this tendency to like inquire why or to go that extra length to kind of like ask something or, or this, there's this extra inquisitiveness is how he put it. Actually, he used that word. There's this extra inquisitiveness that you don't see in necessarily other places. I'm not saying the whole world is different, but it is something that's just interesting about America is I think there is this tendency to want answers. And the reason I bring it up too is because we tend to want things over-explained in the same way that the Star you know, Star Wars having this mysterious force and everybody loving that storyline wasn't good enough. They had to come out with this storyline and break it down in this reductionist scientific midichlorian thing that nobody liked. But yet people want to know. There's this weird thing where people want, they want to know about that background character. But then when you make a movie about that background character where they're the star, people don't like, you know, there's this, this tendency to want, we, we ask questions and then we end up not liking the answers is kind of how things happen. And, I, you know, I feel like it comes across too in the way music is developed, where music has gotten very explicit. There's very little that's suggestive. And I'm sure somebody could send me a list, email me. Email it to me. Email me this list. I'm sure someone could come up with a list and be like, look at all these songs that came out in the last two months of 2020 that are very suggestive and subtle. Of course. I'm just making a really broad point, and I'm just talking. Um, and I'm not and I'm not in court, and I'm alone in a room defending myself right now <laughs> from somebody. I'm de- right now, I'm alone in my room at the end of an Every Night to School Night episode imagining somebody emailing me a list of songs <laughs> that that prove that I'm wrong. That's what I'm. That's that's what your brain does, guys. That's what your brain does when you're in the shower. That's what it does when you're in the car. Maybe it even happens when you're sleeping. It probably does because you only you know what your dreams are like. But anyway, Frank Fafaro, You know, there's uh, there's nothing op- left for interpretation here. Golden one. This is, you know, he's talking about large universal elements here. He's not trying to answer questions, though. That's the nice thing. He's not trying to provide answers for things that can't be answered. He's simply referring to monumental forces. Golden one. What a title. I see gold mist when I listen to this song. I see a haze of gold in the periphery of my vision when I listen to this song. And it's not a hallucination. It's nothing to go to the doctor over. I just see a gold haze. That's all it is, guys. Um, now I'm imagining people trying to tell me to go to the doctor because a song makes me see a golden haze. But when you hear it, which is going to be in a second here, you might see it too. You might see the golden haze too. Frank Fafaro. <laughs> One shines down, shines down on the land. He 
crushes some before him, leaves the other stand. He sees a tiny rosebud, it's caught there in his gaze. The tiny bud lays dying, the golden one's ablaze for another one. Sometimes I think that you're like the golden one, the way you shine on others and hurt only one. Got me where you want me, there's nothing I can do And like the golden, golden one, you melt me down to do for another one With the help of God, 
Is mine. 